0: Oh, good morning. And thank you for the privilege of being here and sharing with you this morning. It's been a while since uh, I've been here, and especially since I've been speaking from this platform. Uh, Back in 2014, it was the time that we spent eight weeks here, uh, my wife and I, as part of the pastoral team in an interim kind of a situation. So it's great to be back. And I'm happy to be able to speak on the shrewd manager. Actually, when you read the New Living Translation, maybe you should call it the dishonest rascal. The parable of the dishonest rascal. What does this mean? And in fact, let me ask you the question this morning. Does this parable make sense to you? Does it make sense to you? When you read it, when you listen to it, I bet you have questions. I certainly have questions. I see some heads nodding, yes, indeed. Okay, what's one of the questions? Well, who gives a dishonest employee Time to be even more dishonest. In our society, it's not about, uh, you know, go and fix up the the accounts. It is like you have 30 minutes to get out of here, clean out your desk, and by the way, this security guard is going to be watching you to make sure you don't do anything that jeopardizes the business. Who gives a dishonest employee time to be even more dishonest? And what was so shrewd about what the dishonest employee did? I mean, it was just plain dishonest, wasn't it? How was it shrewd? Interesting, in the New Living Translation, it says, the rich man had to admire what the dishonest rascal did. And in the New International Version, it says the rich man actually commended the man for what he did. Why in the world? What kind of a situation is this? And of course... WHAT IS THE MAIN THEME OF THE PARABLE? ONE OF THE THINGS WE LEARN WHEN WE STUDY PARABLES IS THAT USUALLY A PARABLE HAS ONE MAIN THEME THAT WE NEED TO FOCUS ON AND THAT WE NEED TO WRESTLE WITH IN ORDER TO APPLY IT TO OUR OWN LIVES. WHAT IS THE MAIN THEME? WELL, THE MAIN THEME WAS WASTING THE MANAGER'S OR THE the RICH MAN'S POSSESSIONS. WHAT DOES IT SAY? IT SAYS, ONE DAY A REPORT CAME that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The main theme here is about wasting the manager's or the man, the rich man's possessions. We get all caught up in whether it was shrewd or not, was he dishonest, what was going on, but what the main theme is, is wasting the master's Possessions. We need to keep that in the back of our minds as we wrestle with all the, this parable says to us. The other question, who gives a dishonest employee time to be more dishonest? Let me suggest to you that this is not in a 2023 setting and that Jesus is telling his disciples it says he was talking to his disciples he wasn't talking to just everybody around he was talking to those who were following him he was talking to those who were trusting or following and learning from him and what does he say about this who gives it time I would suggest to you that what Jesus is doing in telling this story is that he's maybe saying it's a final opportunity to get things right. You see, the shrewd manager was told by the rich man, go and get the accounts in order. I think perhaps Jesus is saying, you know, if you listen carefully, and the master's saying, you know, I th- I'm hearing reports that you're wasting my possessions. There's still time. There's still time. Time to fix it. Time to get it right. Now, the shrewd manager didn't get it right, but there, are, there was time, and that's part of the story. The third question is, what was so shrewd about it? Well, when we study this and when we read the commentators on this passage in Luke chapter 16, there are three possibilities here that are kind of interesting. I.H. Marshall in a massive commentary on the Gospel of Luke, which is a classic that New Testament scholars Referred to on a regular basis. And I.H. Marshall goes through all the different possibilities. The first possibility, of course, is that he was just cheating in order to set up his retirement. I'm going to lose my job. I need to, I need to cushion my, my fall, you know. This is, he was just plain cheating to set up his retirement. He was thinking about the future. There's another possibility that some commentators say, Well, actually, he was deducting his commission for handling the rich man's accounts. His management expense, you know, uh, if you invest money you always with, an, with some kind of a wealth manager or a financial advisor, there's always fees to pay. And in fact, on television, you see all this stuff about, well, I don't pay those fees, I do it myself, this kind of thing. But in Jesus' day, the manager would have gotten a much bigger percentage than what you get today because life was much riskier. And it's possible, some commentators say, that, well, really, the percentage that he would get, he's really just simply deducting from those bills the part of the payment that he would have received if he stayed in the employment of that rich man. Well, a third option, according to some commentators, is, well, he was adjusting the accounts to remove what were really hidden interest charges. If you study the Old Testament, you know that in the Old Testament, Jewish people were forbidden to charge interest. You don't charge your fellow Jew interest. So there is a possibility, there is the, the actual, that it happens, that they got around this in a rather interesting way. For example, it would say, uh, I, you know, I'm going to loan you $10,000. You need $10,000, I'll loan it. I'm the rich man, I'm going to loan you the $10,000. But rather than paying back $10,000 plus 20% interest or whatever it would be, we're going to agree that you're going to pay me back 1,000 barrels of oil. Now, 1,000 barrels of oil at market value might not be just the $10,000. But that's how they got around charging interest. And so some commentators would say, well, what the shrewd manager did was he actually went and he eliminated that extra charge and he brought back the, what the people owed back to what was true market value. And in doing that, he prepared, of course, his own retirement plan because there'd be people who would welcome him after he got fired. But he was also doing it in a way that made the rich man look like a really righteous person. And how could the rich man ever say anything in this context? Well, I don't know. What is going on here? I kind of lean to the first one. He was just plain cheating to set up his retirement. And I think that's something that's going on here. But in this context, the bottom line is this. He was using his position of trust to take care of himself and his own future. Listen to what he says as it was read for us by Vino, which I think I had to tell Vino this morning. I think it's kind of ironic that we had an accountant reading the story about a shrewd (laughs) account. (laughs) So here's what the manager said. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me and I I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Ah! And in fact, the people who translate the New Testament they say the language here that is used as Jesus tells the story is like, I got it. I know what I'm going to do. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends when I'm fired. So it's like, wow, I've got to, I know exactly what I'm going to do. But James Ryle, as he talks about this parable, he says it gives us life's three options. What are life's three options? We see it in the manager's words right here. The first option is this, you can be a digger. He says, I'm, I'm too old to dig to dig ditches. I don't have the strength. I'm too old to be digging ditches. The second option is you can be a beggar. I'm too proud to beg, he said. So I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a manager. A digger, a beggar, a manager. Now, James Ryle, Pastor James Ryle, he kind of expands on this a little bit moves a little bit out of what the parable actually talks about in some senses because the man, the manager said, I'm too old to dig ditches. I'm, I don't have the energy to dig ditches. But Ryle says, here's three options in life. And really there's only these three options. You can be a digger, a beggar, or a manager. A digger is always working. A digger has the mindset Nobody's gonna do it if I don't do it. I am not gonna rely on anybody else. I am gonna do it myself I'm not gonna trust in other people and so on I'm gonna do it and the digger always has the idea that if I just work harder and Sweat more I will be successful if I'm not successful now. I just have to work harder longer hours another job I just have to keep working Harder, 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 because nobody is going to help me. It all depends on me. And the digger is somebody who just keeps digging all the time. The beggar, on the other hand, always sees theirself as a victim. If only I hadn't been born in this family. If only I hadn't been born in this country. Some of you have experienced that. Get out of this country, get to Canada, get where life is a little better and so on. If only I hadn't had these disadvantages. If only my boss wasn't the brutal boss that he is or she is. If only my friends hadn't abandoned me and betrayed me. Maybe it's if only my spouse hadn't betrayed me. If only my parent or my relative hadn't abused me, then I would be able to be successful. And the beggar looks at themselves as a victim. Circumstances are too great. I can't get through. I can't be successful. The manager, well, the manager recognizes that he or she is not the owner. And that's one of the key things about this parable. It's that the man decides to be a manager, but he is a manager for his own purposes rather than for God's purposes or for the rich man's purposes. And as Jesus tells this story, I love the way James Rowell puts it because it's so helpful, you know, when, there, when we can look at scripture and we can have something that sticks in our head. <clears throat> Life's three options. What are life's three options? Digger, beggar, manager. A digger, a beggar, a manager. And then Jesus takes this context and he gives in this context what I would call four rules for managing, four biblical rules for managing money. I don't know if it comes, yes. Biblical money management four rules for managing money because remember jesus is talking to his disciples he's talking to people who are his followers who've listened to him and who want to follow him and understand what he's about and he says here and he makes the application as he talks about the parable and some of those parables you know you see the parable of the farmer who sows the seed and jesus explains it to his disciples later in other parables the disciples ask what about this one and he explains it in this parable he applies it right away And one of the first things he says, and this is the first rule for biblical money management, it is this, use worldly resources to gain friends for eternity. Jesus says in verse, it's verse nine, here's the lesson, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Now, whether it's worldly resources or worldly wealth, the words that Jesus uses here and that are written down in the Gospel of Luke imply something more than just money. It's whatever resources you have. Maybe it's your talent. Maybe it's your ability. Maybe uh, other things. But it's worldly worldly resources, what the world counts as important and powerful and and valuable. And Jesus says, "Here's, here's the thing. The shrewd manager, he used what he had available to take care of himself. And he did it so that when he was fired, he would have friends who would welcome them into their homes. But Jesus adds another dimension to this story. It's not about this world. He said, use what you have in this world to gain friends for yourself." so that in eternity you will be welcomed. Later on in the service, we're going to sing, Thank You for Giving to the Lord, because that's what this is about. Jesus is saying, use the worldly wealth that you have, use the resources you have, so that others will be influenced for eternity, so that when you get to eternity, there will be people there saying, Because you gave to the International Justice Mission, I was taken out of bondage. I was taken out of my situation, and I was put in a place where I could get to know Jesus. Because you gave for that international work of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, somebody came to my country and to my village and told me about the love of God and about Jesus. And because you used your worldly resources To influence that situation, I came to faith. And I am here as part of God's family. And I think none of us knows how many hundreds or thousands perhaps of people will be saying, because you gave, because you took a sandwich down to Toronto Alliance Church and helped helped me who was on the street, because you did that, I got to hear about Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus is saying, here's the first rule of biblical money management. Use your worldly resources to gain friends for eternity so that you'll be welcomed when you arrive in my place, in my home. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to give away everything you have but that you should use what God has given you to bless others. This is about being a manager, not an owner. And one of the messages here is that Jesus says, you know, you are managers, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But Jesus is saying it's my resources. That's part of this whole thing of what are the biblical rules of money management. The first one, use worldly resources to gain friends for eternity. The second one is start with what you have. Jesus says, if you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. You know, I started with my allowance when I was about 10 years old. That's a long time ago. I'll be 77 in a couple of weeks' time. So that's many years ago. And I had a $1 a week allowance. At that time, that was pretty significant, a dollar a week. My dad would not give me $1 bill. He would give me coins. And he would say, here's the coins. Now you take 10 cents and you put it aside so that on Sunday you can put that 10 cents in the offering plate. And he taught me what it meant to give to the Lord. This is for you. And you start with what you have. So many of us think, I'm going to give to the Lord my time once I get my my business on its feet. I'm going to give to the Lord once I pay off my mortgage or once I get my kids through, through college or maybe when I pay off my education loans. I'm going to give to the Lord. I'm going to give to the Lord once I get married or after I get my education. No, start with what you have. Jesus says, if you're faithful with little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. And the reality is, if you don't start with what you have, you may never start. There's always one more thing to take care of. Well, I'll pay my car loan, and then I'll give to the Lord. Or I'll do this, and then I'll give to the Lord. I don't have time right now, but maybe when I'm retired, I will give to the Lord and serve in the church. That's not the way it works. Jesus says, use worldly resources to gain friends for eternity. Start with what you have, because if you're faithful with the little things, you'll be faithful with the large things as well. And the third rule of biblical money management is this. Think of worldly wealth. I didn't get that going here. Here we go. Think of worldly wealth as a test case for true riches. He says, if you're untrustworthy worthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Think of money as a test case for true riches. It's like Jesus is saying, you know, I'm going to give Pastor Bruce some resources, some money. I'll watch how he manages them. If he manages them in a way that honors me, then I'm going to give him an opportunity to really minister to someone who's, who's suffering, who's broken, who needs my love. I'm going to give him some real treasure. Not money in the pocket, but a way to influence the eternal destiny of someone else. He may be thinking, I'm going to watch how you use the resources I've given you. Because you have a coworker who is suffering and who needs you to come alongside and say, I'm a person of faith. Would you mind if I pray for you? Would it be okay if I pray for you? That's the real riches. And you know, it may even be that Jesus is saying true riches in heaven. But I think he's talking about real treasure. You know those crazy commercials about a hockey stick costs $100 and a ticket to the game costs this or a show, whatever. But what's really, this is priceless. When God gives you the opportunity to touch someone's life with the love of Christ and to share how Jesus has changed your life, that's priceless. That's real treasure. And Jesus says, think of worldly wealth as a test case for true riches. I'm giving you a little bit. It's like a parent giving their child. Actually, after I had that allowance of $1 a week, by the time I was about 12 years old, my dad gave me an allowance of $10 a week. But there was a a catch. $10 a week, and you buy your own clothes. I had to plan how I was going to spend that money, how I was going to, what clothes I was going to buy. I couldn't spend it all on one fancy pair of sneakers. Not that there were any fancy pairs of sneakers in those days. But I couldn't spend it all on a leather jacket or whatever. I had to plan. But Jesus is really saying here, think of worldly resources. Think of worldly well, as a test case for what's true riches. Who's going to trust you with what's really valuable? if you're not faithful with that little thing that he gives you. So we think of worldly wealth as a, true case, as a test case for true riches. Maybe it's, well, I'll go on. Because in this case, in the test case for true riches, we do get the question of how do we look at wealth? How do we look at money in our lives? And James Ryle, the one who says this is about a digger, a beggar, or a manager, Uh, uh, He used the old King James version, digger, beggar, steward, but uh, whatever it is. He also says in this context, he challenges you, do you have a spirit of poverty? Do you know what a spirit of poverty is? A spirit of poverty is being afraid I won't have enough to take care of what I need and what I want. And so I hang on to everything I have. And you can be a millionaire and have a spirit of poverty. I'm afraid I won't have enough. I have to hang on to it. And in the church, Jesus, the way you break a spirit of poverty, how do you break a spirit of poverty? You open up your hand and you give. Jesus says, think of money as a test case, a test case for true riches. Don't have a spirit of poverty. Choose to follow me. I love the song that we sang earlier in Keisha. I choose the Jesus way. I choose the Jesus way. I'm taking a risk. I'm following Jesus, but I'm choosing the Jesus way. That's my stand of faith. The people around me think I'm nuts to follow this book and believe what this book says. But I'm choosing this. I'm staking my eternal destiny on this. And I want to experience true riches. And so Jesus closes it off as he talks to his disciples and he says this. Remember, there's no place for two top priorities in life. There's no such thing as a top priority number one and top priority number two. There's only one top priority You can't serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, you'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And actually the translation there would be uh, mammon, which is worldly wealth again, mammon. There's no place for two top priorities in life. We have to make a decision. With money and worldly wealth, either it rules us or we rule it. Doesn't mean you can't have it. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. But either it rules us or we rule it. And the spirit of poverty is when, the, when it takes charge of us instead of we take charge of it. So let me say these rules change everything. A lot of us think about giving to God uh, the way we think about paying taxes to the government. No, Seriously. We earn our money, and the government says, you need to pay X percentage to us. And we think, okay, how can I work this out so that I pay as little as possible to the government? And I keep as much as possible for myself. That's not a bad thing, I mean, it's okay. But reality, if the government were standing here, if there was someone who personified the government, they might say, you know, we either create or maintain the conditions under which you enjoy your amazing standard of living. So you owe us. And sometimes we treat God that way. God has blessed me, so I owe him. Or maybe I'm paying my taxes, you know, tithe. 10% is, is sort of like taxes, paying to God. But these rules change it because what Jesus is saying to his disciple is this, I am the one who's given you everything. I am the rich man in the parable, and you are to be the manager. If you have any retirement savings, you may have, them. You may have a financial advisor who gives you advice, how do you, how do you invest this? And if you have a little bit more than just a little retirement savings, you might even have, have somebody who works on a wealth management team you know and you can just give your you can give those resources to the wealth management team and they manage it for you Jesus is saying i want you on my wealth management team i want you to be an asset manager and it's not about obligation it's about finding our heart connected with his heart If you have those resources and you're looking for a wealth management team, you look for a wealth management team that has the same priorities you have, that will invest the money wisely the way you would like it invested. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's investing. I'm investing in you. I've given you the talent you have. I've given you the education you have. I've given you the family you have even. I've given you all these things. And I want you to be, I've given you your talent. I've given you your skills. I want you to be my asset manager. Jesus invites us to use his resources to gain friends for eternity. To start with the resources that we already have. And to think of it as a test case for real, true riches. Like, Lord, I want to use the assets you've given me so that you will entrust me with something that is really, really valuable. And he says, remember, you can't have two top priorities in life. Some of us come up with all kinds of reasons why we can't follow Jesus and do what he wants, do what he's suggesting here right now but I challenge you listen to him in a moment or two we're going to celebrate communion and although we can't sit around the same table can you imagine sitting at the table with Jesus as he sat there with his disciples and sitting at the table and having Jesus look across the table at you and say what is this I'm hearing about you Are you wasting my possessions? Are you wasting my assets? I invite you to just have a heart that's in line with my heart. This is not about earning our way to heaven. We don't manage money in order to pay our way into heaven. Biblical management of money is simply saying, I want my heart to line up with God's heart. I want to invest my time, my money, my energy, in the things that God sees as important, and that's where I want to go. That's being a wise manager, not a shrewd manager, and that's what Jesus commends. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would apply to our hearts and our lives your word and your teaching. We ask it in Jesus' name.